You are listening to Natural Born Alchemist. Welcome to episode number 64 of the Natural Born Alchemist podcast. My name is Alex and I'll be your host. In this episode, my guest is alchemist Matthew David Ingalls, and we are going to talk about alchemy. Matthew has completed the alchemy study program under Dennis William Hawke, where he received his diploma in hermetic sciences. He has also completed advanced laboratory work under Robert Allen Bartlett at the Spagyricus Institute in Tulip, Washington. Matthew David Ingalls is an initiate in several Western mystery schools, including Freemasonry, Rosicrucianism, Martinism, Golden Dawn and other hermetic traditions. And he is the president of the International Alchemy Guild and the founding president of the Rocky Mountain chapter of the International Alchemy Guild and the Rocky Mountain Alchemy Conference held in Denver, Colorado. So thanks for being on the podcast. Well, thanks for having me. So tell the listeners a bit about uh, who you are. My name is Matthew David Ingalls. I am the president of the International Alchemy Guild. I have been studying alchemy and the occult since I was about you know, 12, 13 years old. Um, I uh, started receiving, uh, got my first initiation into Freemasonry when I was about 21 years old. Uh, also joined uh, Amwork. Started my Rosicrucian work. Um, worked my way up. I became a uh, master of a uh, couple invitational bodies for Freemasonry, and uh, but the whole time, my my heart has always been in alchemy. While receiving these initiations into these other esoteric Rosicrucian mystic orders and also magical orders. Um, I uh, everything my lab work started really pick up when I moved to Denver about six years ago. It's Denver, Colorado. Um, my first teacher was uh, Dennis William Hauk, who was uh, he's written several books on alchemy, and he was the founder of the International Alchemy Guild when it came to the United States. Um, and then after. Uh, working with Dennis for a while through the alchemystudy.com, uh, I moved on to work with Robert Allen Bartlett, who was a student of uh, Frater Albertus here in the United States, um, learning you know the hands-on lab work with Robert. Um, and now I currently work with a couple different alchemists around the world uh, doing the lab spiritual and psychological work. Um, then up till about 2014, you know, 2014, I, uh, Dennis Houck was ready to retire and pass on the Alchemy Guild. And, uh, I was one of his students and I was running a chapter here in the Rocky Mountains and the board of directors voted unanimously to have me run the guild. So December, 2014, I took over and I've been running it ever since the business side and the uh, esoteric side of the International Alchemy Guild. And this uh, Alchemy Guild, uh, what's its function? It's a 
it's basically an organization that brings alchemists around the uh, world together for conferences, sharing ideas. Um, it's an autonomous order, so it's not connected with any other organization. Um, the, you know, the original function when it first started uh, it was just a group of alchemists that were sitting in a bar talking, and then they decided to get together and start actually experimenting with each other and sharing information on what was a success, how they did certain things. Um, and today we still fulfill that, uh, that need where alchemists around the world that have different initiatic backgrounds share their experiments, their experiences, and we get together um, in 2016. We'll be having an alchemy conference here in the Rocky Mountains uh, with alchemists around the world to share their lab work, their spiritual work. Um, we do bi-monthly publications, uh, a bulletin that goes out to all the members, and we will be starting back up our alchemy journal where we can continue to share research and keep alchemy moving forward uh, into the next century. So you're working mainly with what's called like practical alchemy or or also the spiritual aspects of it? The spiritual, the psychological, and the laboratory, all three. Because they interconnect for you. Yes, it's uh the idea is is when you to create the stone, you want to create it on all three levels. Um, mentally, we're trying to become better people and become pillars of light for the world where, you know, it's a an evolution of man along with the, the lab work. You, you're, the, practice, the practitioner should evolve with the work. Um, otherwise, you're just making stuff in a lab and anybody with a chemistry degree can go do that. I saw in your bio that you were also involved with Martinism. Yes. Um, you know, I, I really liked the, the work of Louis-Claude Saint-Martin. Uh, but I don't know so much about the Martinism order that came after him. Tell a bit about that. Well, it's... It, it, for Martinism, it's, it's a Christian... It's Christian mysticism. So, like, Islam has Sufism... Christianity had Gnosticism and later Martinism. Um, it's again, a, it's probably still one of the closest you can get to a secret society that's still slightly public. Um, but after Saint-Martin, students of his um, wrote initiatic work, you know, the initiatic orders such as uh, Gerard Ancas, also known as Pappas. Um, and then several lineages came out of his students, and basically they're teaching the way of the heart to get man to reintegrate back into God. Uh, are you know basically the the point from uh, the point within the circle, getting back to the beginning, um, as you know, man fell from heaven, and the initiatic experience is supposed to help guide you with lessons, learning the language to be able to communicate with God. And eventually, uh, you know, like in alchemy, we move from Saturn, the place of darkness, back to gold or back to the sun. Um, there are several lineages uh, out there. 
but um, they're all pretty much teaching the same lessons. And if you've read uh, any of Sam Martin's work, that's really what uh, a lot of this is based off of. You have experience with Freemasonry, Rosicrucianism, and Martinism, and all these different kinds of orders. But for somebody who has not been involved with any of them, which one would you say would be the one to to go to 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 get started? Well, that, that's that's uh, that's interesting because it's you look at all these orders that are out there, and I look at it the same way as there are all these religions, all these different countries, political beliefs. And it all comes down to finding what works for you. I've been in several organizations. Um, some have worked out for me. Some were, you know, I thought were the right path. And it was my intuition was saying, you know, we need to spend our energy elsewhere. Um, for me, my heart really relies, you know, lies um, kind of Rosicrucianism, Martinism. You know, it's the mystical side. Um I love Freemasonry. Uh, unfortunately, the the because of my job, I've not been able to attend attend recently, which is terrible. It was kind of the equivalent, uh, the feeling afterwards, almost like going to church for some people. You know, getting together with a collective, working together, whether it's on a project or just getting together to share ideas. Um, Freemasonry is a since it was kind of my first initiatic experience, um, you know, I always I love the, you know, they, they provide you work. You know, they tell you that Freemasonry is making good men better, and there are Masonic orders out there in the world that have women and different types of people. Um, but you know, they say making good men better, and what they do is is they provide you with tools, uh, you know, practical application. They take working tools. And they apply moral lessons to it, and it helps you guide through, uh, helps you become a better person if you utilize these tools. Uh, something that I always share with people, just simply, you know, like in alchemy, we teach you to observe nature, and something as simple as breaking up your day and planning it out um, can help reduce chaos in your life because it gives you a little bit of structure. I mean, if the tree didn't have its bark, it would fall apart. So, you know, there's little things like that um, in Freemasonry that over time after seeing initiation after initiation and experiencing the ritual um, has been enriching for me. And I, I usually recommend uh, when guys are ready um, or women, if they're going to go into like co-masonry or universal masonry, um, if you're thinking about it, definitely do your research and check it out. It's uh, It's been life-changing for me, that's for sure. Isn't it also funny with the Alchemy Guild bringing alchemists together, but the archetype of the alchemist is the hermit? Yeah, the uh, that's been one of the tough ones of... Because uh, even myself, with some, uh, I'm extremely introverted. I actually... You know, five years ago, if you would have asked me if I would be doing podcasts and radio interviews, I would have thought you were crazy. Um, it's all about finding the balance because the hermit, if you look at the uh, tarot key, does emerge with the light or the lantern. Um, it's not, you know, I take my time and I keep to myself and I read, I study, um, 
But then I do emerge and I do come out and I share stuff that I'm working on. You know, we have our monthly chapter meetings and then I go back to being my hermit self. But I'm, you know, I'm not just, you know, sitting here being alone trying to avoid society. It's just I take my time to learn. So it's a, that's one of the other things with alchemy is uh, with trying to bring people together nowadays. Um, because it is a lot of solitary work. It's usually between a teacher and a master. Um, but fortunately, because there are so many, you know, there are teachers willing to share. And, you know, with social media out there, um, you can kind of still be a hermit and learn from your computer. And when you're ready to meet up with your teacher, you can, you know, work that out. But we have so many teachers sharing information uh, there's times that there are people learning from two or three teachers, you know, that may have learned together when they were students. So it's uh, it's definitely interesting bringing a group of uh, hermits together and seeing how everybody interacts and then kind of goes their separate ways at the end. But again, we'll all be back next month or you know next quarter or whatever. Maybe it was more hermit style. Years ago, when when doing alchemy was a bit dangerous. Well, and it it requires so much study, so not everybody was was literate back then either. So, and people were yeah, like you said about being safe. It was easier just to stay in your place, um, study, practice, and then you know when it's safe, go out, meet together. And, uh, you know, like even with the guild, when it had its founding, I mean, uh, the founder was very wealthy and had a home for everybody to go and practice in. Um, you know, even John D. worked with the guild uh, for a short time. So I think now that it's a little, you know, in the United States is a little bit open. There's still parts of the world where we have members uh, there you know their their names are concealed i don't share their chapters um especially in countries that are warring so it's still uh for the guild there are still chapters that are still very hidden and very hermit like where they may get together for uh a discussion in their home and nobody knows outside of that i mean there's no facebook pages there's no websites So we still have that practice going Most on. Most people who have a superficial knowledge of alchemy, they know that it's about creating the stone. But um, there are also many other things you can do use alchemy for and create other things. What could those things be? Well, a lot of people use them to make medicines. Um You know, the, the philosopher's stone, the idea being the universal panchea or the universal medicine, the cure-all. Um, you know, we have our volatile medicines like, you know, volatile oils or tinctures, um, which kind of work on the here and now illnesses. And then you have some of our fixed medicines, um, you know, fixed out, you know, oil of antimony, the red oil of antimony or oil of gold. Uh, which work on the the long term serious illnesses. Uh, some people use some of the alchemical plants for initiatic purposes, um, where they'll use them in a ritual 
or wanting to gain insight, so they use select plants for that, uh, along with metallic medicines as well. Um, so you'll, you'll kind of get a mix between either medicine or initiatic purposes, uh, trying to work towards the stone or just trying to work on yourself as a person. Since you're living in Colorado and, and, and cannabis has been legalized there, has there been any work on, on using, using cannabis? And I know like the oil can be used for healing, but have, has there any, been any al- alchemy work with cannabis plants? Well, the, the work with uh, cannabis plants uh, in alchemy have actually been going on well before it was legalized. Um, the, the CBD oil that comes out of it, um, I mean, here it's, it's been a really big boom since it did get legalized and people can be a little bit more open with their research. But I mean, we now have members that are growing plants, doing the Ayurvedic medicine, um, the Ayurvedic alchemy with the cannabis plants. And so it's uh, basically with it being legalized in Colorado, it's allowing people to come out of the shadows and actually share some of the research. And it's like, Hey, we're not just, you know, we're not just a bunch of weird stoners. We're actually doing legitimate uh, work with the plants. And uh, so, yeah, it's, uh, it's still continuing, but just now more public. Can you find uh, cannabis uh, references in the old texts? I don't do a lot of my research on it. Um, one of my members does uh, one in my chapter, and they would know better. But um, for me, off offhand, I do not know um, a lot of the the work with cannabis. There are some dangers doing uh, laboratory work, also if you work with like mercury and things like this. Um, it, do you think there's a risk now when alchemy, more and more people, thanks to the internet, are doing it, that there's going to be some major accidents? Yeah, it's. Uh, we've had, I've had people share with me that they've blown up their lab work because they didn't have, you know, they didn't have uh, anywhere for the air to out, the pressure to outlet, and distillation trains. People making silver and gold fulminate, which cause big explosions. Um, you know, and this is why a lot of the alchemical work was kept secret. You know, it just wasn't because it was danger. You know, the dangerous for the government, or you know, whether it was the church trying to take their lives. Um, this is why we do a lot of foundational work, and people want the secrets. Well, just tell me everything now. Well. No, because we don't want you making bombs by accident or nox, you know, noxious gases that will kill you or uh, burn down your home and whatnot. Um, I mean, you go on YouTube and there are people that are just doing absolutely stupid things and all it takes is, you know, oh, I'm doing alchemy. And even though it has absolutely nothing to do with alchemy, you know, to the mundane person, they'll look at it and go, oh, that stuff is dangerous um so you know i try to do my part by you know i I only show so much stuff you can do safely in your home uh some people share more advanced works and it's uh that involve acids and bases um so it's kind of trying to find the uh the fine line of not trying to encourage people to do stupid things without some kind of training or a teacher or mentor to walk them through 
So I think the danger, you know, it's like with anything else. I mean, it's uh, as more and more information gets out there and people wanting to film themselves doing stupid things. Um, yeah, I mean, it's not going to, I don't think it'll increase any more than what stupid stuff people are doing, but we just have to be very careful what we put out there and share. If you are, uh, skilled in chemistry or have a degree in chemistry and you decide to start doing alchemy is that an advantage or or is it that kind of like a handicap because you're thinking you know you have a a dogmatic way of thinking about something yeah because it's it's kind of tough because it's you know with chemistry and science we teach you to you know they have the scientific method and one of them is observation and in alchemy, and they're finding this out in chemistry, that op- the observer does affect the, um, the experiment itself. Also, you get, you know, the issue is, is, well, I already know how to do this, so just teach me the next thing. And it's like, well, no, it's, it's, we're doing something philosophical. We're not just doing, you know, go make uh, this or that. There are YouTube videos out there with chemistry professors that are performing you know, what they think is the the glass of antimony to extract the red oil from Basil Valentine's work, and it comes out this dark little black lump, and that's like, no, that's that's not what it's supposed to look like. And he's, you know, this, this professor sitting there explaining, like, oh, it's supposed to have this gold color, but, you know, this is fine, too. And it's like, well, no. I mean, it's, um, you almost have to get people to unlearn the physical world to understand the spiritual and psychological aspects of the lab work. So, you know, like Robert Bartlett, I mean, he was a alchemist first and then a chemist, um, versus, you know, which is he has a deeper understanding and deeper appreciation for the work versus, uh, same with Dennis Houck, um, versus people that have spent their whole lives doing chemistry. Uh, I've found, um, they're interested in just kind of making stuff and, um, you know, which is fine. I mean, if people are interested in making medicines, um, you know, that's the same thing what doctors do and they have a purpose in this world. So it's, it's so, kind of like that thing with quantum theory where you look at some molecular particles and they're there. And when you're not looking at them, they're not there. Kind of like this. And and with the scientific method, it, it's you know we observe, and then record, and the practitioner brings in their own preconceived notions of what it is or what it should be or what they're working towards. Um, where you know in alchemy we teach entering the silence and clearing our minds. I mean, there's so much work with meditation in the beginning that we don't project our own desires our own ego onto our projects you uh, also do spagyrics what 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 is spagyrics what's the difference between doing that and and alchemy or is it the same thing it's it's the same thing it it started with paracelsus um, and basically it's all three principles brought back together you do uh you make a tincture of your plant. I use uh, distilled red wine. Some people use Everclear. Um, it's not legal everywhere, so it's good to know to distill. But you extract the uh, with the alcohol, you extract the spirit and the sulfur of the plant. 
And usually that's enough for some people, but in a spagyric, what we do is we take the plant body, uh, burn off the excess alcohol, and calcine the plant and extract the water-soluble salts. And then what we'll do is we marry it back with the spirit and soul that we had extracted, the tincture, to create a new uh, medicine um, called a spagyric. So it's the salt, sulfur, mercury principles all combined again, just in a perfected higher order uh, where like you would look at somebody with medicine would try to isolate maybe an alkaloid or one part of this, uh, one part of the plant, uh, where in alchemy we try to take you know, the plant, burn it down to just its purest properties and recombine it um, all together for a newer, higher level vibrational medicine. When you read alchemical texts, they are very cryptic. Um, do you like study all the chem- alchemical texts, or do you do you study alchemy in in another way by you know teacher student or or how do you do it, or have you managed to decipher these texts? Well, the the texts weren't when they were written. They were written for other alchemists. Um, meaning that, hey, I've, I've, you know, back then they didn't have Facebook or social media or email to show to their peers that they've accomplished this or that, and this is how they did it. So, I mean, one, it was encrypted to keep religious people from figuring out that it's, oh, hey, this is just another holy book, not an actual alchemical text, so you don't have to kill this guy. But it also shared their process. Um, so I think a lot of people that try to study advanced you know, alchemy books, while it's good to, to kind of have an understanding of the text, it's a whole lot harder to decipher because you start to project your own thoughts of what it is. Um, so I, you know, I realized that kind of early on because I'm reading this and I'm like, well, this teacher, you know, this alchemist is saying this and this is this. I'm, I'm what is mercury? Is it elemental? Is it a metaphor? Is it a spiritual is it a process? Um, and so that's what made me seek out um, getting a teacher. And that's when I learned about, you know, when the student is ready, the teacher will appear. And so I started talking to teachers like, well, what should I, you know, what, what foundational work should I start? And I found that the foundational work kind of gave you insight into the higher works. And so it kind of became easier to to start to decipher, and, but with the teacher that is uh, you're working with, you can bounce ideas off and they'll walk you through it. And uh, again, alchemy is a journey. Um, it's not just about making the stone. It's about the experience getting there. And uh, so, I mean, I've had my teachers that they're like, well, you have A, B, and C. You know, test them out. And let me know how it goes. And you know, if you're not getting the color changes or this and that, then maybe it's wrong. And um, so I've spent two years on projects that were completely wrong just to learn why. Um, so I'm, uh, you know, I don't. I'm always a little cautious when I hear people saying I've made the stone, I've deciphered everything myself, and it's like, well, you know, those books are intentionally misleading and intentionally providing you know uh, information or they just don't put the information in there could be whole steps missing or the right chemicals or the actual vitriol that needs to be used um, so 
you know, it's uh, somebody that's worked with a master alchemist or a teacher is uh, usually somebody on the right path for the long term. Yeah, vitriol um, can be confusing because vitriol is also it's an ab- abbreviation of of like seven words, but it's it's also a thing on its own. So, can you talk a bit about that? Yeah, vitriol is there. Are, there are several different vitriols in alchemy, and basically, it's a uh, you know, it's travel to the center of the earth and there find the hidden stone. And uh, it's kind of alluding, it, well, it's alluding to finding the correct ore, uh, metallic ore, to, to work with. Because right now, if you go out and you go buy a piece of metal, you know, like, okay, well, let's go work with lead. Well, you don't want to go buy a chunk of lead. Uh, you want to find the ore that lead comes from, whether it's galania or... Uh, I think it's called serite, um, that contains the lead uh, because it still has its philosophical sulfur mercury where plain metal is complete, you know, other than silver and gold, it's uh, it's dead. So that's what the vitriol is talking about. Um, yeah, I know that John D. and the book uh, The Secrets of the Rosicrucians talks about, um, you know, copper vitriol, uh to make, you know, one of the red lions, um, there's lead ore, there's ore of antimony or stibnite. Um, so that's what it's telling you is to start to go into the caves or start, you know, the, the, not just the philosophical cave, but also the, uh, you know, when we break away, we want to walk away with our ore and start the purification process. Um, so yeah, it, it's telling you, you know, where you're going to find the stone is in the ore itself. Yeah, and that's something also you, you come across a lot, is the, the green lion and the red lion, and w- w- what are these lions? Yeah, yeah, that was, uh, it, it pops up a lot. I've had, you know, there are red lions out there that are, you know, this red oil that um, some will have different properties uh you know, like copper tastes like, uh, you know, the red line from copper. Or, uh, John D. calls it the the green line for copper as the fool's green lion. Um, you know, it kind of has a blood taste because it's from copper and blood contains copper. Uh, you know, some people will tell you the red line is from elemental gold. Uh, red line is from plants. The thing is that there are several green lions or several red lions, but there's really one initiatic red lion that's working that we're working towards. Um, some will have the, uh, you know, it's been known as the body, you know, the the, the blood of Christ or uh, Osiris's body, you know, the salt being, you know, Osiris's body torn apart and put back together. Um, so yeah, it's. Uh, it is again another intentionally misleading thing because it's not one universal uh, symbol. I mean, the red lines used several times, but it might mean different things to different alchemists. Just like with the dragons, yeah. You know, I mean, they have all these animals. Uh, it, it just depends on what path you're traveling. I have spent some time with shamanic cultures in Latin America and Africa. And I must say that seeing these shamans work and they make many different tinctures and medicines and, and how they how they do their work uh, is probably the closest 
to what I have imagined those old alchemists were doing. So I think uh, alchemy is like uh, the offspring of, of shamanism. What do you think about that? No, I agree with you. It's, um, you know, again, the goal is to, to create the universal medicine, um, you know, that can transmute lead into gold, uh, you know, metaphorically. Um, I mean, we have our rituals, we have our spiritual work, um, where we're trying to heal the person on all levels of, uh, existence, um, you know, we have Native American shamans within our group here in the Rocky Mountains and elsewhere in the country um, where it's not just about, you know, we'll take this magic bullet, you know, take this magic pill and everything is healed. No, we've got to, you know, change the person both mentally and spiritually and the body. And that's what modern medicine, I think, has missed out on um, is healing the person all three levels. So, no, that's that's really close to what we're doing in alchemy um, when we're talking about healing and medicine. Do you think it's a fool's game to, you know, use alchemy only with the goal to make, you know, real gold for, you know, money? You know, it's, uh, I've seen people claim to make gold and I've seen several different uh, ways of doing it and it's not, you know, and I'll be honest, the gold has always been present. If your goal in alchemy is to make gold, the money that you invest into lab equipment and ore and the years of traveling and learning with the whole purpose of getting rich, you would actually be better off just buying gold and investing in it, putting it away and letting it sit. Because, I mean, it's... We're talking years and years of study, and there there are probably few teachers out there that would even give you the time or day if they found out that all you're trying to do is just make a few bucks. And the alchemists that I know that have been doing this work longer than I've been alive, uh, they're not wealthy people. They've never gotten rich off alchemy. And when I say rich, I mean you know with money. Um, so if if the goal of initiation is to try to make a few bucks um you know I, I don't think you're getting into this for the right reasons uh you're getting into it more of a material gain than anything and then that goes even for people trying to sell tinctures and elixirs um you know it's tough um so you know if you're do, i would highly recommend if, if you're getting into this work look into the initiatic experience you'll gain from it and you know how you're going to change as a person uh, versus trying to make money. Then it's better to take like a, a Wall Street degree or something. Yeah, yeah. Get a get on the stock market. Invest. You know, even if you just want to buy little pieces of gold and put them away, and you know, when the holidays come around, hey, what do you want for your birthday or Christmas or whatever holiday you celebrate? Oh, give me a half a gram of gold. That's like I think it's around. $50 now, American, you know, so just buy it, invest it, put it away. Um, and if you ever get into alchemy, there's work we can do with gold, you'll, you know, so you'll have be stocked up on it, won't hurt so much when you use it. Like collodial gold and collodial silver, is that, uh, is that alchemy work or is that something else? It's more chemistry. Um, I mean, I make colloidal silver and gold, 
Um, basically, you're taking these pure metallic rods and you're uh, breaking off the monoatomic particles. Um, you know, you can you know you can add salts to it and try to solidify the monoatomic gold and silver. Um, I'm a, you know I've used silver before and it's the the downside to silver is um, it does eventually build up in the body over time. And uh, if you're using it all the time, I mean, it, like I said, uh, it can change your skin color because it builds up in the skin and the light hitting it. Um, it can make your skin a whole lot paler. Um, where with alchemical medicines, it shouldn't. There shouldn't be a risk of it hurting you when you take it. You know, other than you know, if you have a, an allergic reaction to the medicine, but you know, silver over time. Um, with constant use is not a good thing. Have you heard about Ormus? And if so, what do you think about it? Yeah, I'm familiar with uh, Ormus. Again, it's a, uh, you know, I've seen it made from ashes, sea salt, and gold. Um, you know, for me, in the beginning, Ormus kind of had a bad name because I, that's what people were using to help make, you know, supposedly trick people into making them believe they can make gold. Um, whether it's through electroplating or, you know, it's put in solution so it's invisible and then you add another acid and it falls out of solution. Um, I personally don't use it. If I'm going to use gold, it's going to be working towards other alchemical works. Um, you know, so I leave that to the Ormus people out there that are uh, pretty gung-ho about... Uh, you know, their acids, uh, extractions, and breaking it down to gold. So I'm familiar with it. I just don't, uh, I don't use it. You know, that some people will tell you that the Ormus of gold, elemental gold, is the body of Christ and uh, the salts, you know, or the body of Christ or the body of Osiris broken up and reassembled. Um, I was taught something else uh, with Egyptian alchemy that, it's a completely different material, which has been kept secret intentionally because um, it's some of the higher works. But, you know, for people that want to use it and if it helps them, you know, God bless them. I you know, wish them the best using it. Can you be like an atheist and still be an alchemist? Well, if you're trying to raise, if you're trying to communicate with God and you don't believe it, um, and you're trying to work on a spiritual level and you don't believe it, it's kind of hard to, uh, to do this work. Um, I definitely believe atheists have their place in chemistry where they're, you know, go forward and, you know, cure cancer, cure AIDS. I mean, you could do so many great things, but if you're looking for a spiritual initiatic experience, but you don't believe that there's something higher than yourself, uh, you're kind of doing yourself a disservice. So I don't believe that you can do both. You know, you can be an atheist and an alchemist. Um, you know, not that I have any problems with atheism and the contribution atheists have made to the world. It's just, you know, you're not going to get the experience if you don't believe there's any experience to be had. Have you, like, experienced God or that kind of force, whatever you want to, however you want to describe it, while you were doing your alchemy study or, I mean, compared to before you did any of this? Oh, yeah. It's, um... You know, as a child, I remember and uh, my experiences. 
you know, I grew up um, on military bases, and some of the old military bases were uh, housing, you know, Nazi POWs during World War II in the United States, and uh, a lot of these Nazis were still initiates. Um, you know, basically, it was kind of join the German army or um, die, and so some of these guys get captured, come to the U.S., and they they set up basically these temples by carving into olive trees that they ended up growing up in Northern California. And I would say I had some pretty strong experiences there. And, you know, what keeps me going, um, and I don't always share my experiences because they're my experiences and your experience with the work will be different. Um, just like how everybody experiences God, you know, in their own ways. But that's really what keeps me driving forward and made me a believer. It said, you know, I discovered it on my own as a kid, and that's what's kept me on this path, um, trying to – I want that communication between the above and the below to be a regular thing instead of it being, you know, a here and there thing, you know, wanting to have, you know, not just knowing it's there but have some control so I can – Kind of like picking up the phone and saying, "Hey, God, it's me, Matt. Um, you know, let's chat." If somebody's listening who has just started doing laboratory alchemy or spiritual alchemy or whatever, uh, what do you have any advice for those people? Yeah, it's um, when you start the initiatic experience into alchemy, you're going to start experiencing life a little differently. Because you're becoming a, you'll start to become aware of your how your actions, you know, interact with the world. Um, there are going to be ups and there are going to be downs. There are going to be accidents and things that aren't going to work out your way. Um, but remember, you haven't failed until you've quit and given up and walked away. And even then. You know, you can always still come back and I just keep trying. Um, you know, I can tell you it becomes very discouraging when you've, when it feels like you're trying everything possible and you just keep, you know, what you feel like failing and failing. This is all part of the initiatic experience. Whether you learn from your failures or quit will determine whether how, you know, how long you're going to stay in this work. Um, So I always tell people to persevere, keep pushing forward. If you need to take a break from it, take a break. Um, if something feels wrong, if you're working with a teacher and your intuition's telling you to to step back, there's nothing wrong with taking a break and reevaluating and you know taking on the work again. Um, But yeah, that, that's my big thing is uh, it's worth working through those really hard times, especially when you're doing psychological work, you're doing spiritual work, because you're trying to heal years of basically sitting in a cave and sitting in perpetual darkness, and then you start to see the world for what it is. The other thing is, is uh, learning to forgive yourself. As you start to discover things about yourself, um, It becomes really easy to sit there and beat yourself up over uh, things you may have done in the past, ways you may have hurt others, the way you've affected the world with your behavior in the past. Um, the first thing to do is to one, learn to forgive yourself 
and learn from your mistakes and then learn to love yourself first as a person. It's not selfish um, you know, while you're going through this work um, because if you don't learn how to love yourself and forgive yourself, how will you be able to do it for others? Um, so those are my major, my major points is uh, when people are starting, it's worth working through the hard times. Um, if you need help or need someone to talk to, reach out. Uh, this all makes you a better person. Um, it's worth pushing through. I, I promise you that. It's a great feeling when you know life will always have its hardships. Life will always have stress. Um, but having worked through it over and over and over, the big things start to become small things, and I, I can deal with anything, you know, and I can deal with this, I can deal with that, and uh, it's a great feeling. So it's, it's uh, if you truly love this work and you want to get on this path, stick with it. It's, uh, it's worth it. It's like in the I Ching, it says uh, perseverance furthers. Exactly, and, uh, you know, he who lasts to the end uh, shall receive the rewards. And, um, you know, it's I've been through initiatic experiences which walk you through, you know, they use metaphors um, where you're basically met with roadblocks and the whole goal is to overcome these things because in, in real life, if you don't overcome uh, some of these challenges in life, you fall apart um you don't you know you you get away from society you become cynical or nihilistic and you know it's uh you just got to believe in yourself and keep pushing forward and realize that you deserve peace however you experience it in the world do you think you could view alchemy as like some sort of religion yes um you know, it's uh, it's kind of like a religion without uh, having one path. Um, you know, you've got the Arab alchemy, and it's based a lot of spiritual and sulfur work. Um, I mean, you know, they deem the salts to be uh, poisonous or caustic, but it's, uh, you know, it's it, for me, it's kind of turned into a religion. I mean, I don't, you know... My church, I take a day out of week, one day a week, and uh, where I sit, meditate. I respect all the prophets that have come and brought, you know, that have basically acted as Mercury. Those who have achieved the status of, you know, like a god, you know, a demigod or a godlike status, where they can go to, they can, you know, if you read through these holy books, you'll see, you'll read, you know, whether Christ ascends to heaven. And then comes back, or you know, the Prophet Muhammad going to heaven, going to the mountaintop, uh, coming back, or Noah going to speak to God. These people have achieved a certain level of initiatic experience where they can communicate with God, take the above, bring it below, and explain it to the physical world. Um, when you get to a certain point in alchemy, you'll start to kind of see, you know, like I said with the plant, we burn away all the superficial stuff and keep the purest parts you'll start to study religion and philosophy and you'll start to look and you'll start to see these core set of beliefs and you'll start to burn away all the, you know, oh, well, the Catholic Church does this. Well, Muslims do that or, you know, Jews do this. 
you'll get away from all that polit- you know, political stuff or extremism and start to see the core principles and go, okay, this makes sense. And then you see it over and over and over. Um, and that's what alchemy teaches you to observe nature and observe all its parts um, and burn away the superficial parts. So for me, it's become you know, a religion in itself. Yeah, because I see all religions as talking about the same God, but with different words. Yeah, I mean, religion, you know, just like where there's different paths in alchemy, wet path, dry path, diagonal path, um, it's about the path that, you know, that works for you, you know, works for a group of people in a region. Um, you know, some religion works for some people in some parts of the world, and it works for others in, You know, Christianity may be best here and Islam there and Judaism. It's just how do we communicate this message to a people in this area so we can all share a common um, understanding. And the problem is, is people have taken the differences and turned it into, well, mine's the only right way. Well, no, my way works for me. I developed my own path by having these experiences. That's the separation of knowledge and wisdom, you know, doth in the, the tree of life is uh, you know, not just reading books, but experiencing God in their own ways. So yeah, I see religions um whatever works best for you is the best for you. Mainstream Christians and Muslims uh, they usually view God as separate from the world. And the pantheistic view that God and nature is one and the same, but God is everywhere. Uh, how do you see this? You know, basically, when God created everything, you know, created the heavens and the earth. Um, well, God, you know, God's goal in life, or God's, you know, deal is to create. Uh, where man's, you know. You know, your gift is to receive. That's what you know. Kabbalah is is to receive. Um, that we are basically having this experience on behalf of God, since He created it for us. And our spiritual side is what our Mercury that what combines the two, which is being able to ascend and descend. Um, I do see you know the creation of God and all our plants and all of nature. Um, It's designed for a purpose. Uh, you know, Thoth taught that you know the stone. Basically, everything for the stone was put here um, for man to discover and put together. Again, trying to recombine with God. Um, so, I mean, I, I, I my own personal views. Uh, again, I don't. You know, it's not that. Uh, you know, everybody in the guild has their own. But no, I see that God created all these things. And they were here for us to experience, to receive his gifts, kind of like a parent giving a gift to a child, you know. Yeah, but the parent is also in the child, you know, genetically. That's what I meant. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, uh, I do believe we all came from God. That The Big Bang, as science explains it, was when we were all one piece And then we had this explosion where all parts of God separated throughout the universe. Um, and you'll see that throughout religion is that, you know, God, we were created in God's images or in, in God's image and that we all contain a piece uh, of God. Um, so, no, I mean, we are basically all pieces of what that physical self was. 
where God now stays above and we stay below. Um, I think it was Terence McKenna who said that uh, the Big Bang is the one miracle that science accepts, and then the rest there's there's no miracles anymore. Well, and that's that's the thing is that uh, you know the Big Bang. I mean, it was. I think that's what we're all working back to. You know, you look at the universe as it's ever expanding and separating, and you can see that in the microcosm here on Earth, where we're pushing so hard that all you know to to separate each other and. Uh, point out our minor differences to separate each other um you know we look at the ouroboros you know eventually you know and that's again what martinus was taught martinism was talking about was trying to get back to that point before the big bang i truly believe at some point we're all gonna kind of get whether science says we get sucked all back in in a vacuum and become back to one um and then the big bang will just happen again um you know that that's my again my personal belief on the whole thing is until we learn to quit separating just like as the universe is ever expanding or ever expanding we'll eventually run out of energy and uh have to return back to the source so i mean i wouldn't be surprised if you know when everything was over that we return back to oneness with god physical spiritual and like, you know all together until there's so much potential and energy that it explodes and expands again. You know, just like with the Tower of Babel, that, you know, they built one giant house and everybody spoke the same language and the same, you know, religion. And eventually the tower fall, fell and broke apart. And when it broke apart, it separated all of us, new religions, you know, new languages, new ways of life. And, uh, you know... That's what we're all trying to do is just hopefully in the initiatic experience that you're trying to work back to that oneness. You know, pre-Big Bang, I guess you could say. Yeah, maybe each Big Bang is just a breath, like God breathing. It only takes a second for God, but we have our own existence in between. Yeah, it's uh, time, it's, you know, time is relative. So it's, uh, you know, it's when we read the Bible and we hear about, you know, people living three, four hundred years or whatever you know we ex we may experience it one way but it could be a nanosecond to you know god when we're talking about a quantum level i like to see this above and below when you look at images of in the microscope it, the the further down you go the, the more it looks like you're looking up at the stars and also the same when you go into the universe it looks kind of like molecules after a while yeah, it's, uh, you know, I, I like to look at, you know, even with fractals, how, you know, it just repeats itself, repeats itself. As, as low as you go, you just keep finding yourself above, you know, uh, just smaller pieces um, that the microcosm and macrocosm are merely just mirrors of themselves. Just like in, you know, in our initiatic experience, you know, the way we perceive the world is just a mirror of ourself. You know, every time we look at another person or experience another person, we're just, we're actually experiencing how we perceive the world. You know, again, the above and the below. You gave some advice for, for beginners before. Do you have, maybe this is a bit more difficult, but do you have any advice for those that are listening that are more experienced? Um, yeah, I think when you get to, you get to a certain point, you've, uh, you kind of have your process 
down, especially if you're working with a teacher. Um, you know, just keep your ego in check uh, is the big thing. Um, it becomes really easy over time to feel like, well, I know more than others. Um, and to, to, to remember your patience. Um, remember the patience your teacher shown to you. As other people are learning, it becomes really easy when someone says, well, this is what this is. Uh, well, no, it's not. And jumping down their throat, um, that can turn people away and go, wow, this guy's an advanced alchemist. I don't want to be that. You know, it, it's kind of like when you see with sports, kind of almost trying to behave as a role model um, to carry yourself in the same way and manner as an adept should. Um, never forgetting that we were all once students and making mistakes and driving our teachers nuts and bugging them. Um, you know, not everybody knows how to ask for help with something, so maybe their way of asking for help is showing or making a, a bold statement that is terribly incorrect. But, you know, just to remain humble and uh, uh, just remember what it was like back when you were starting off. I think that's good advice because, you know, when I, I spend time on many different online alchemy communities and once in a while there's always some guy or girl, I, I don't know the gender, but uh, I, they, they sound like guys and they like, I'm, I, I have the truth, this is it, you're all wrong, this is my way, it's the right way and follow me, you know, like they want to have uh, disciples. Yeah, they want almost that cult following. They, uh, you know, my big thing is if you have to impose your will over others and control others to get into your path, um, I don't think your path is the right one. It, you should inspire. People should go, wow, look at that person. I want to become that. How do I? And then, you know, it's just like with, uh, you know, when you listen to the story of Christ and his mythos, it's... Uh, He didn't just talk about healing people. He went and did it. And people were like, wow, look at this guy. He doesn't just run his mouth. He actually goes out and does it. You know, again, speaking and then doing. And people wanted, you know, that's why it was so, you know, popular. People wanted to be like that. With The Alchemist, you know, even in modern times, if you spend more time running your mouth and uh, not behaving in the world, Now, again, everybody's evolving. Everybody's at different stages intellectually, spiritually. Um, there needs to be, be an understanding as long as you see trying. But, um, you know, if you have to impose your will and make people believe your way, um, you know, maybe it's not as solid as you think it is. Do you like write about alchemy or? or uh... um, I, you know, again, we have the alchemy journal that's going to be coming up uh, and I'm going to be talking about um You know, I'm going to be focusing a little bit on this, the soul side, the uh, extraction of volatile oils and talking about the soul level of alchemy. Um, I also do a lot of anonymous work. I write alchemical things, but I don't put my name on it. Uh, I can't say which because it would defeat the purpose. But I want people to judge the work based on its merits and not on, oh, well, Matt wrote that, whether that's a good or bad thing. <coughs> so... <clears throat> So yeah, no, I do write, uh, not as much as I wish I could, but uh, you know, I'm running an international order and among other bodies. So 
you know, sometimes writing is a, a luxury. <laughs> and you, you uh, have the seminars as well? Yeah, we have, uh, we have monthly meetings here in the Rocky Mountains, and we're trying to get the chapters around the world to get to that same level where they can get together, share ideas, work on projects, uh, spiritual work, lab work, uh, ritual work. Um, but we've, we've brought back the Alchemy Conference. So we have the 2016 Rocky Mountain Alchemy Conference. We have a website um, where you can sign up. We have two days, eight hours a day, 16 speakers uh, from different you know, initiatic backgrounds sharing their work. Um, and so that's going to become a regular thing, and eventually we'll take the show on the road um, and start holding it at different places around the world so people that live in different regions of the world you know, be a little bit easier and cost-effective to attend. Um, but, yeah, we hold the conferences, and we have – you know, recognized alchemists um, that have uh, made major contributions speaking at these things. And uh, do you have any websites if people want to check out this stuff? Yeah, the uh, the main ones, um, alchemy. You know, the the internet. You know, alchemyguild.com or .org. Um, I've sent you a link on that. Alchemystudy.com which is a great foundational work for those starting in alchemy. There's the Rocky Mountain Chapter, IAG.com, all one word. Um, it's a blog that I keep writing. Um, it's also got all the information for our chapter. And uh, what I want people to look at, um, and I can send the link to you if you want to share it, is uh, where to start your alchemical journey, what books to look at. Instead of trying to jump into advanced books, um, wh where can you learn the ABCs, the basics? Uh, um, what are legitimate recognized schools uh, to go through? What are legitimate websites to go through? So, um, you know, the, definitely go into our chapter's website. Um, on the internet, when you go to the internationalalchemy.com, if you go to local chapters, um, you'll see all the chapters. There'll be links to their websites. Um, another one is Spagyricus, S-P-A-G-Y-R-I-C-U-S.com. That's Robert Allen Bartlett School that he runs out of Tallulip, Washington, uh, Washington State. Um, again, he was a student of Frater Al Albertus. Um, I worked with him, uh, learned a whole lot. And, but he's also a chemist as well, so he can explain a little bit deeper what's going on. Um, but yeah, the rest of the links are on my, um, my, my blog, uh, that I keep under schools and starting your alchemical journey, you know, links to John Reed, Mark Stavish, uh, Steve Kallick, uh, and so on, uh, that are definitely worth those that have been, you know, either are new or old to take a look at and get some new perspectives. Yeah, cool. Send me some of those links and I can post them in the program notes for this episode. Wonderful. Uh, so thank you a lot for taking the time to talk to me. Oh, well, thank you for having me. I uh, really enjoyed this. Go to alchemyguild.memberlodge.org to find out more. Now, one of my favorite bands growing up was Nirvana. 
tracks like Come As You Are really helped me in my teenage years. And for me, my suicidal tendencies died when Kurt Cobain killed himself. His death made me want to live. But that was over 20 years ago. But now I will play a piano version of the Nirvana song Heart-Shaped Box by Aesendis Gokchin. Very hard name to pronounce. Uh, from the album Nirvana Project. Go to aesendis.org. Well, I'll spell it. A-Y-S-E-D-E-N-I-Z.org for more of her music. All the links will be in the program notes on naturalbornalchemist.com. And don't forget to check out our Facebook page and Twitter as well. I'm sure your Google skills can help you locate them. Freedom is in the mind. Mm-hmm. 